All right, we like to laugh here too. So, because we're forgiven. Man, we should be the happiest, freest people on the planet. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11, 12, and 13. Our scripture reading is actually gonna come from Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. Hear the word of the Lord. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's pray. Father, we should be the happiest, freest people on the planet. Because as we saw several weeks ago, because of Jesus, you're not mad at us anymore. Christians, those who have turned from their sins and are trusting in your son, Jesus Christ, you have removed your wrath and anger from us. You placed it upon your son at the cross. And we sit in your presence, free and blameless, covered with the righteousness of your son. And because of that, we should be singing people, joyful people, because you have made our hearts rejoice as you made the hearts of those Israelites in this passage rejoice. Father, we ask that you would illumine our minds by the Holy Spirit today to see Jesus here in this portion of Scripture. Oh, may our joy, like these Israelites, be heard far away, that what we do on Sunday morning with our lives would be evident. Do it for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 11, if you haven't made your way there. A quick announcement on September 7th, Lord willing, in two weeks, we're going to start a new series in 1 Peter. So if you want to start reading ahead, I encourage you to do that. And just like we saw a few weeks ago, the writers of Scripture did not write with a view that pastors would be able to preach their narrative units in 30 to 40 minute messages The authors of scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit sometimes wrote in greater lengths and we need to keep these narrative units intact when possible. So we've got a lot of real estate to cover today because we're going to look at chapter 11 and 12 and the first part of chapter 13. So because we have a lot of real estate to cover today, buckle your seatbelt and get ready to cover a lot of miles. Get ready to move quickly. But first, the big idea of chapters 11 and 12 and the first three verses of chapter 13 of Nehemiah is this. When you come face to face with grace, it will move you from place to place. Here's what I mean. What I mean is that when disciples begin to understand the sovereign grace of God in their life, then that will catapult them to another place. It will move them from the place of self, where we love ourself. It will move us from the place of self to a place of service, a place of sacrifice, a place of giving, a place of missions, a place of prayer, all for others. When you begin to understand and grasp and come to grips and you let the roots of your thoughts go deep into the soil of God's gracious sovereignty over your life and over your situations and over your salvation, then you cannot help but move and leave the place of self and begin to live a life of sacrifice for others. 
Of course, it's not a one-time move, is it? Oh, would it be great if only once you had to rehearse the gospel and then you were a servant always? It's not a one-time move. We are always loading up moving vans in our lives. We are always moving from place to place, from the place of self where we love ourselves to the place of service for others. Now, why is it not a one-time move the minute you believe in Jesus? Because as I said earlier, because we're sinners, We're selfish sinners. And because we're selfish sinners, we need constant reminders of the gospel. So we rehearse the gospel, we come face to face with grace, and then we move out to serve others. But then, because we're selfish, we move back to the land of self. And that's the Christian life right there. We're always loading up the moving trucks. We're always confronting our selfishness, tearing down the little kingdoms of self that we have built up. And then we move out to serve others. And then we move back to the land of self. You see, we're always on the move. The gospel is always confronting our selfishness and moving us out to love and to serve the unlovable. We're always moving out to serve others or moving back into the old neighborhood of self. Welcome to Christianity until Jesus comes back. And we move all the time to serve others out of the land of self where we're most comfortable. We do that because Jesus moved here from heaven. Jesus moved into the wrong neighborhood. Jesus sought out the wrong people. Jesus sought out the down and out. He didn't come for righteous people. He came for sinners. He came for sick people who knew they need a doctor. Jesus moved into the bad part of town, across the tracks, to save sinners like you and me. That's grace. Grace moves into the bad part of town and sets up a rescue mission. And that's what Jesus did for us. That is grace. So when you come face to face with God's grace... You move from the place of self to the place of sacrifice and service for others. You move from loving you, which you're so good at, and so am I, to loving others. And sometimes you move out to even love the unlovable. When you focus on your Savior and not yourself, it will actually catapult you out to serve others. And that's the Christian life. Looking up to Christ by faith, and out to others in love. That's what the Christian life is all about right there. Looking up to Christ by faith, and then looking out to see who can I serve, and who can I love. But right now, I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. So do that, and direct your attention to the gracious God that we serve, and hear the word of the Lord. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem... And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Okay, here's the situation. The city walls have been rebuilt, and and while they were building them, all the leaders stayed within Jerusalem inside the city walls. The leaders needed to be close to the action in case the enemies attacked, in case they ran out of coffee, because you don't want to do that. So the people living within the city walls of Jerusalem were the leaders. But the city was large, and it needed to be occupied 
with God's people. After all, that's one of the reasons they came back from exile in Babylon. They needed to move into the city to occupy the city to be the city of God. Everyone else but the leaders were living out in the suburbs outside of Jerusalem. But they had just spent 52 days rebuilding the city walls. And now the leaders want people to move inside Jerusalem. So how do you decide who has to move into the city? How do you decide who has to go rent a rider truck? How do you get people willing to leave the suburbs and move into an urban context? Well, here's how you do it. You write names on little pieces of paper. Someone takes off their baseball cap. You put the papers inside. You jiggle it and you draw names. It's a tried and true technique that's been around for a long time. So one out of every 10 families gets drawn from this lottery system and they have to move into the city of Jerusalem. They have to sacrifice. They have to give up their rights of where they want to live. They have to read and meditate on and apply Philippians chapter 2 long before the apostle Paul ever writes Philippians chapter 2. And more on that in a moment. But notice two things here. First, God's sovereignty is directing the results. They couldn't be mad at Nehemiah. They all knew that God in his sovereignty was directing, which name would be pulled out of the baseball cap, they knew that God in his sovereignty was directing everyone who would move into the city. So they knew God has drafted us to move into the city. But secondly, notice this, the people willingly moved. That's what verse 2 says. They didn't move grudgingly. They weren't packing their boxes and saying underneath their breath, stupid Nehemiah and his stupid lottery system. The piece of paper with my name on it must have been bigger than all the other pieces of paper. That's why I got picked. It was rigged. They were probably hanging chads on those papers. Remember hanging chads? It would be a great band name, wouldn't it? All right, I'm distracted like I was in the first service. Well, you have none of that, that stuff happening here. Why? Because they knew that when you come face to face with grace, it will move you from place to place. They had just celebrated God's grace to them in Nehemiah chapter 8 because they were overwhelmed at God's grace and that he was not mad at them because of their sin and rebellion. They let the roots of their lives go deep into the soil of God's sovereign grace and it blossomed into sacrificial giving. And moving was a sacrifice. That's why all the people are listed here in verses 3 through 24. You wonder why we have yet another long list of hard-to-pronounce Hebrew names? Because Nehemiah has written down the names of all the people who were so moved by God's sovereign grace that they willingly moved and did something very inconvenient. And because Nehemiah recorded their names in Scripture, it would behoove us to read them. So let's read the names of all the people who had to go find cardboard boxes at grocery stores and buy rolls and rolls of tape so that they could move. And here they are. Look at verse 3 through 24. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athahiah, 
the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez, and Maaseiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Koholzeh, son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, son of Joyrib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Coliah, son of Maaseiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasenua, was second over the city. Of the priest, Jediah, the son of Joyrib, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Merioth, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822. And Adiah, the son of Jeroham, son of Peliah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malchijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' houses, 242. And Amashai, the son of Azrael, son of Azai. The son of Meshillamoth, son of Immer, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolim, and of the Levites. Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrakam, son of Hashabiah, son of Buni. And Shabbatai and Jazabad, of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house of God. And Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbukiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shamua, the son of Galal, the son of Jeduthun. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. The gatekeepers, Akub, Talmud, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpa were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites lived in, Jer- in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, the son of Micah, the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers, and all those in the praise band said amen, and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Pethahiah, the son of Meshezabel, of the sons of Zerah, the sons of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. So we have yet another long list of hard-to-pronounce Hebrew names because Nehemiah has recorded all of the people who were so moved by God's sovereign grace that they willingly moved and did something very inconvenient. And if it wasn't inconvenient, then these people's names would not have been recorded in Holy Scripture. They did not prefer to live in Jerusalem or they would have already been living there. All the good restaurants were outside the city walls in the suburbs. There was no Starbucks open yet inside Jerusalem. No Chick-fil-A inside the city walls because Jerusalem wasn't developed yet. And on top of that, the people who moved, people like Meshillamoth and Bakbukiah, they had to leave close relationships behind. Parents, grandparents, neighbors, friends. Some would have to leave jobs and start new businesses. And this wasn't going to be easy. And moving is never easy, right? It's never easy. In fact, one of my friends moved across the country recently and I asked him how it went. And his reply was, I think I need to get baptized again. (laughs) Moving isn't easy, which is why every time you move, people buy you pizza because moving is never easy. 
And if you tally the number of movers here, it's about 3,044 men. Add to that the women and children, and you have somewhere about 10 to 12,000 people leaving the comforts of the suburbs to help occupy and be the city of God in an urban context. It was sacrifice, and they did it all for the good of the people of God, the good of the city city of God, and they did it for the glory of God. Because God had been so good to them. So what this means then is that there will be times when we are called to give up our comforts and our securities for the good of others. We may have our druthers, but we may have to die to our preferences for the good of others. We are called as disciples to give up our druthers for others. It does sound a lot like Philippians chapter 2, doesn't it? It sounds like these Israelite movers got to proofread the epistle to the Philippians before it got published in the Bible. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, <clears throat> but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God calls his people to sacrifice for others, and guess what? God put his money where his mouth is when he sent his son Jesus Christ to do that very thing. When Jesus moved here from heaven and relocated to earth as the God-man, Jesus gave up his rights. Jesus gave up his druthers for others. And what is the ultimate goal of all of this sacrificial sending? Why did Jesus move here from heaven? Why did God send his son? So that God would be glorified. Jesus moved and gave up his druthers to the glory of God the Father. You see, when you come face to face with grace, it will move you from place to place. Thinking on God's grace to you in Christ will move you from the place of self where you are comfortable to the place of sacrifice and service for others. And that's what these Israelites are doing here. They had just remembered and celebrated God's grace to them in the Feast of Tabernacles. They were told by Ezra in chapter 8 that God was not mad at them because of their sin and rebellion. So they respond to grace. They are moved by grace to sacrifice. And they do that by moving into the city. And it's what we're called to do when we come face to face with grace. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to die to our wants 
to die to our preferences, to die to our wishes, to give up our druthers for others, to give up our comforts and securities, to give up our rights. Who knew a chapter full of 3,044 sacrificial givers with hard-to-pronounce Hebrew names, who knew that they could end up being something that could actually change our marriages, change our workplace, actually change this church and change this city? Imagine what this church would be like if we all died to our preferences and our wants and gave sacrificially in every area of our lives for the good of others and for God's glory. Imagine what would happen if we gave up our druthers for others. Please let me say that again, but this time I want you to really imagine. I want you to dream. Put on your imagination cap cap, and dream with me. Imagine with me. Are you ready? Here we go. Imagine what this church would be like if we all died to our preferences. How we want the sanctuary to look. What songs we want to sing. How we want the pastor to dress. or Whatever. We died to our wants and we gave sacrificially in every area of our lives for the good of others and God's glory. Imagine what would happen if we gave up our druthers for others. Imagine what your marriage would be like. Imagine what your family would be like if everybody started giving up their rights and their wishes in their Imagine what your family would be like if somebody said, here, you take the remote control. You pick the show we're gonna watch. Imagine that how it change your marriage. Is your marriage struggling? Is your family messed up like mine? Here's the cure. Look to Jesus and die to your preferences and die to your wants and give up your rights and sacrifice and serve others. And if you do that, Things will change. I promise you. Go home and lay your life down for your family members, for your spouse, and watch how your, the atmosphere in your home will change. If you start rehearsing the gospel, it will move you from a place of self to a place of sacrifice and service because that's how grace works. Grace changes everything. But this isn't the only place we see God's sovereign grace in Nehemiah. It shines again in verses 25 through 36. You see, God's grace wants to be in the spotlight because when grace is in the spotlight, God gets glory. So God's grace is back, shining brightly in verses 25 through 36. Look at verse 25. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba in its villages, and in Dibon in its villages, and in Jechabzeel in its villages, and in Jeshua, and in Moladah, and in Beth Pellet, in Hazar Shual, in Beersheba in its villages, in Ziklag, in Mekonah in its villages, in, in Rimon, in Zorah, in Jarmuth, Zenoah, Adullam, and their villages, Lachish in its fields, and Azekah in its villages." So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Michmash, Ijah, Bethel and its villages, Anatoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gitaim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nabalit, Lod, and Ono, the valley of craftsmen. And certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Did you catch sovereign 
grace there? Did you catch God's grace there? It's oozing out of the passage. You, you caught it, didn't you? It's everywhere. It's probably on your face and your shirt and your hands now because grace just oozes out of verses 25 through 36. Don't you see it? Let me show you. All of the surrounding villages were occupied by Gentile nations when Israel was in captivity in Babylon. All of the surrounding villages were occupied by the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and all the otherites. So Israel returns to Jerusalem now some 70 plus years later. And the Israelites not only live in the city, but they also live in the surrounding villages. And all of this was none other than a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant when Yahweh told Abraham to pack his bags and to move. In Genesis 12, Yahweh tells Abraham, go, move, pack the rider truck, go from your country and your father's house to the land that I will show you, to your offspring I will give this land. In Nehemiah 11, God is being faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham. That's the kind of God Yahweh is. He is faithful grace. It's all his sovereign grace here. Yahweh chose Abraham and told him to move to another country. And Yahweh made promises to Abraham. And he's keeping them here in Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. So please don't skim these verses. Don't neglect these verses. Read over them with all of these hard-to-pronounce villages because they are rich with God's faithfulness. You might actually get crazy and be inspired to read these verses in your morning devotions without being tempted to turn a few pages over to the Psalms. Who knew? A list of a bunch of villages around Jerusalem could inspire worship? All of a sudden, maps and the subject of geography become a means of God's grace to his people. God's grace moved Israel from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and the surrounding nations are now moving out of Jerusalem because of a promise that Yahweh made to Abraham hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier when he told Abraham to load up a rider truck and to get moving to a different country. That's how Yahweh works. He's a promise-keeping God. And if you're familiar with Yahweh, the promise-keeping God, then you know that he's going to show up in chapter 12. You know his grace likes to be in the spotlight because when his grace is in the spotlight, he gets glory. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Reham, Merimoth, Ido, Ginnathoi, Abijah, Mejamin, Maadiah, Bilga, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jediah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, Jediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Jeshua. And the Levites... Jeshua, Benui, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakbukiah and Uni and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. 
And Jeshua was the father of Joachim, Joachim the father of Eliashib, Eliashib the father of Joida, Joida the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan the father of Jadua. And in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses, of Sariah, Moriah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehohanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Marioth, Helkai, of Ido, Zechariah, of Ginnathon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Mini-Amin, of Moadiah, Piltai, of Bilga, Shamua, of Shemaiah, Jehonathan, of Joyarib, Madani, of Jediah, Uzi, of Salai, Kalai, of Amak, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, of Jediah, Nathanael. In the days of Eliashib, Joida, Johanan, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the days of Jehonan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers, who stood opposite them to praise and to give thanks, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Mataniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. Okay, this is pretty standard reading if you've been with us through our series in Ezra and Nehemiah. I did a better job at reading them now than I did in the first service, by the way. But the question that you should be thinking right now is this. Okay, Pastor Benji, what glorious truth do we see in this list, in yet another list of Israelites with hard-to-pronounce names? Well, I'm glad you asked, or I'm glad you at least were thinking that. This list of priests... The Levites, the scribes, the gatekeepers, and singers are proof of two things. One, the worship of Yahweh will continue. So I don't care what the leaders of this world do. I don't care what the social media and the media outlets are saying. The worship of Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is going to continue forever. And there's nothing that anybody in this world can do to stop it. So that's the first truth that jumps out when you read all these weird names. The second truth that should jump out is that Yahweh will always provide leadership to lead his people in his worship. If he's always going to be worshipped, he's always going to provide leaders to do so. So who knew a list of greeters, worship leaders, singers, and pastors could actually aid the people of God in worship Because they are reminded through this list of hard to pronounce names that God always has leaders to lead his people. What a comfort. Because I could die. And Pastor Greg could die. And Pastor James could die. And Michelle could die. And Chet could die. And the staff could die. And the elders could die. And the Lord would still have people to lead this church, his church. That's grace. You see, when I read names in this list, like Ginnathoi and Mejamin and Meshillamoth and Bagbukai and Mini Amin and Jediah and Uzi, when I read these names, I sleep like a baby at night because these names are screaming at me something that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's comfort, grace. That's grace. 
Jesus is going to take care of his bride. So the pressure is off for the leadership here at church and the pressure should be off for you. Because I could disappear and he'd bring another preacher. And Greg could disappear and he'd bring another Greg. And you could disappear and he'd bring another you. This is his church, his bride. And unlike most husbands, he knows how to take care of his bride. He will provide leadership for this church no matter what happens. And I'd love to linger here and talk about how Matthew 16, 18 comforts me that everything is going to be all right at grace because this is Jesus' church. But there's actually more of God's sovereign grace that I want us to see in verses 27 to 43. And we're actually going to read all the way to chapter 13, verse 3. So look at Nehemiah 12, verse 27. There's more grace here. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And then I brought, this is Nehemiah speaking, and then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and I would not have wanted to be in that choir. And after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens, and that's why Nehemiah went with them because that's where they made like the, the pizza and like the fire grills at the tower of the ovens. So Nehemiah says, I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me and the priests Eliakim, Maaseah, meaning Amin, Micaiah, Elioani, Zechariah and Hananiah with trumpets. And Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. They had a kind of joy that made the neighbors call the police on them. Because car alarms are going off in the street and they're disturbing the peace and quiet these people down. They love the gospel so much they're being loud. Continuing. 
On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather them together into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers and they set apart that which was for the Levites and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron." And now beginning in chapter 13, they'll recall the gospel, how God stopped the curse of Balaam. They're rehearsing the gospel, rethinking once again on that grace. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. And on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water when they came out of Egypt. But they hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. That's grace. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. So all of the people gather around Jerusalem to dedicate the wall. And the Levites are there. They've gathered with singers and musicians and they start singing. But they start singing with two choirs. They organize two choirs. They walk around, take their positions on the city walls. Now imagine the scene. They have moved from exile in Babylon. They have rebuilt the temple. They have rebuilt the city walls. And all of it was a picture of the sovereign grace of God in their life. And so what happens when God's people let the roots of their lives sink down deep into the soil of God's sovereign grace? It blossoms with sacrificial giving. They sacrifice. Here the people are so overwhelmed with God's sovereign grace that they actually do what Hebrews 13 beckons us to do, even though they never read Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 says this. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And this is exactly what Israel did that day. They sing and then sacrifice. They sing and then share with others. They were moved at what Yahweh had done for them in moving them out of exile in Babylon that they start moving their lips in praise to Yahweh and then they move out to serve others. They knew that when you come face to face with grace that it will move you from place to place, from self to sacrifice, from self to service. They remind us that disciples who are fixated on and delight in God's grace to them are catapulted out in service for others. As John Piper says, love is the overflow of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others. But these Israelites also sacrifice in the other way that Hebrews 13 prescribes. They offered up a sacrifice of praise to God. Look again at verse 43. And they 
offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You get the point of the verse, don't you? Five times the root of the Hebrew word samak, to be glad, gladness or rejoicing is used in this one verse. Why? Because Nehemiah does not want us to miss the point. They had church that day is what we should do every Sunday when we come here. We should at least say we had church, right? At the very least. But notice the sovereignty of God even in their singing. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. God was sovereign even over their joy. God had stirred their hearts. He opened their eyes to the wonderful truths of the gospel and they couldn't contain their joy. They were moved from silence to joy because of grace. Proof that even in worship, when you come face to face with grace, it will move you from place to place. And what moves us? It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus moved into the wrong neighborhood. That Jesus sought out the wrong people. That Jesus moved into the bad part of town, across the tracks, to save selfish sinners like you and me. That's grace. Grace moves into the bad part of town, into the bad neighborhood, and sets up a rescue mission. And that's what Jesus did for us. That is grace. God's grace, then, will move you away from self where you are most comfortable to serving others and to worshiping the triune God. Grace will move you to look up to Christ by faith and then out to others in love. And that's what I want for this church, that we would become so overwhelmed with all that God is for us in his son, Jesus Christ, that we move away from self, move away from our wants and our wishes, move away from our preferences, and we would be moved to celebrate Jesus and to serve others. May we become a church that gives up our druthers for others. So look to Jesus, the servant who moved here in the incarnation, and as John 1.14 says, he tabernacled or made his tent among us. Look to Jesus and start loading the moving vans of your life. Leave the selfish suburbs of your life and go and serve others. Go and serve the unlovables in your life. The people who live across the tracks, down in the ghetto, in the wrong neighborhood, both figuratively and literally. And some of us have unlovables in our own house. Some of us sleep in the same bed with someone that we have deemed unlovable. So let me give a challenge to at least the men today. Men, load up on the gospel and then load up the moving van and leave the land of self and then go load the dishwasher for your wife. That's what the gospel does. When you come face to face, it'll turn you into a servant. But don't be surprised once you become a servant if you get selfish and move back to selfville. Because I did this one time. I said, I'm going to load the dishwasher for Heather. And I was like, praise the Lord, load it. And I got mad. Because I was like, why did they scrape the plate? It's like stuck on there. I'm scraping. And I was like, I'm done. 
Because we move from self to service, and then we come back again to self, and that's what I did. You will leave the land of serving and sacrifice and move back to selfville. You will do that because you are a selfish sinner. And when you move back to selfville, look to Jesus once again. Load up the moving vans and go and serve others. Get moving. Move your eyes to Jesus to gaze upon him and all that he is for you in the gospel and then move out to serve others. Give up your druthers for others because that's what Jesus did. You see, the problem in Christianity is that we have privatized it. As I mentioned last week, I have no trouble loving Jesus. He doesn't get on my nerves. He doesn't bother me. It's everybody else that does. So we have no problem with the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're like, great, I got that. I'm good. What did Jesus say was the second? Just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't only do number one in the Christian life. You must do number two, which is the prophet Isaiah's point in Isaiah chapter one. When they're doing all the sacrifices, they're singing all the popular songs like oceans, and they're giving and they're serving, and then God says, you don't love your neighbor. You're not helping the poor and the widow. So God is saying, la, 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 I'm not gonna listen to your prayers because your hands are bloody with sack or bloody. And they would say, duh, God, our hands are bloody because we're sacrificing, sacrificing all these animals so we can be made right with you. And God says, no, your hands are red with the blood of others, of human beings, the people you are neglecting in your life. You can't just do number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You must do number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And right now, may God's grace to you in Christ move you right out of your seat to stand and sing to Jesus. And then may it move you to go and serve others and to love your neighbor as yourself. Are you ready to come face to face with grace once again? Are you ready to come face to face with Jesus? It doesn't get any better than that, does it? But it's not enough to sing, all I want is you, which we're gonna sing in a moment. It's not enough to sing, all I want is you, if it doesn't move us out to love and serve others. They go hand in hand. May God help us not to just love Jesus, but to be so overwhelmed at his love for us that we go and love others, that we would love our neighbor as well as we love ourself and we love ourselves best of all. Let's pray. Father, I admit that I am great. I have a PhD in loving myself, God. And I imagine my brothers and sisters here in Christ could say that too. Would you forgive us for being preoccupied with the person in the mirror? Would you cause us to turn our eyes up to your son to be so overwhelmed that he moved here in the wrong neighborhood to save us, that we would go and love the unlovables in our life, even if we think they live in our own home. Change us because we see your son. Do it by the power of the Holy Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.